0: You're listening to Jerry Agar on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hey, let's bust your bills here. With the holiday season now over, News Talk 1010 wants to bust your bills. Today's 11 a.m. keyword is island. You have until the end of the day to enter the keyword at Newstalk1010.com. On Monday, more in the morning, we'll be busting a listener's bills with $1,010. Keywords are announced every weekday morning at 7 and 11, just after the news, and at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So the more you listen, the better your chances of having your bills busted. Full details at Newstalk1010.com. Again, the word is island.
1: Let's get this party started.
2: Oh, I love the party. I'm party. More of a party
3: atmosphere We're having a big party
0: And joining me at the party table for today's show Is my son, restaurateur Tanner Agar Good morning Good morning. Good to be back. Good to have you back. Uh, so we're complaining about the weather here in the western provinces. It's been like 40 below, and by the way, the Celsius and Fahrenheit uh, thermometers match up at 40 below. So that's it's just 40 below here. We're currently at minus 9 Celsius. But my understanding is you're all the way down there in Dallas, Texas, and it's no better.
4: Yeah, it's actually minus 9. I stepped outside to see how I felt about it. It's been a long time since I lived in Canada, but. The benefit is, you know, we've got a nice warm sun and it's completely dry. If we get any ice, any snow, DFW shuts down. But as long as it's dry... Things go on as normal. Everyone just complains and they won't go out at all. So the restaurants won't make any money, but at least everyone stays safe. All right. Well, everybody stays safe then. And let's talk about this
0: because you have some particular experience in this area. Robot baristas and AI chefs causing a stir at uh, a new um industry show i guess this has been going on for a while research in the restaurant and bar sectors as to how they could use robots to serve drinks and serve food and that sort of thing um you actually worked for a while for a company trying to get this done how do you feel about that whole thing
4: i feel good about it i mean number one even if you don't like it it's coming so you've got to get you've got to figure out how we're going to move forward obviously There's a threat to jobs. That's the big thing people are concerned about. But my hope with it is that it doesn't take away jobs. It takes away the parts of jobs we don't enjoy. Because ultimately, hospitality, coming from the Latin meaning to host, what hospitality is about is how you make people feel, how you brighten their day, how you connect with them on a human level. And those things, technology has a long way to go before they can make you before they can really make you laugh before it can make you feel important and cared about what i'd love to see them do is take away things like cleaning my floors and scrubbing down my deep fryers so bring on the robots that do all of that and i think the hospitality industry will embrace a lot of this technology and will pivot to find more ways to be person to person as opposed to the grunt work that comes along with our business.
0: Okay. Well, any business would probably feel that way, but I think about your restaurant in particular, one of the things I like about it, and you, you're you not a cheap restaurant, you're a higher end restaurant, but uh, you have all these unusual food items. And I love that your wait staff will come and they'll present the plate and then they explain what it is, how you make it, what the, some of the unusual ingredients that go into it. And I don't want that listed off by a robot. I like that human interaction. On the other hand, maybe at a, you know, if I go through the drive-through at McDonald's or something, um, there's there's a person who hands me the bag, but if the thing came down to shoot to my car, I guess I'd be okay with it.
4: Well, and that's already happened. I mean, there are are restaurants now where you never talk to a person, and there is a McDonald's here in Fort Worth where they were doing that. There were humans inside, but you never interacted with one. And it's really that quick service style restaurant, the fast food restaurants, that's where this is going to start to take place. But my hope would be Yes, some of those people will get displaced from those jobs. However, all the chefs that I know, when we get a beer together, we all talk about how do we get more people? How do we you know, keep our people? How do we invest in our people? I would love to take some of those people and say, hey, here are jobs for you. It's still restaurants. And in fact, I think this is going to be a more fulfilling role for you than you had at McDonald's. And here are the reasons. So I think that will be sort of a part of a shift where I hope the technology can solve a staffing problem rather than creating a staffing problem.
0: Well, technology through history has always actually created more jobs than it took away. The, the creative destruction is what it's called, but sometimes it's bad for uh, some people who lose a job and they aren't qualified for the more technical job that exists. So I hope that something like, at least in the hospitality industry, which is where we started here with these robot baristas, et cetera, can do what you're saying. Uh, allow people to do the more interesting job and let the robots do the stuff that nobody wanted to do in the first place, like maybe wash the dishes.
4: Yeah, absolutely, and I'm certain if instead of, you know, reading a trade publication about AI, we'd instead been reading one about training and employment, there's obviously people working on AI technologies to retrain people to try to make sure that we can manage that process, and that's something I would love to be a part of, uh, making sure that people can find rewarding jobs in hospitality, because that's, as a restaurant owner and operator, making my team successful is the only way I can be successful. So I'm obviously highly interested in that.
0: Okay, so uh, I only want to spend a minute or so with you on this, but I always take an interest whenever I see in the newspaper the restaurants that got dinged, they were either closed or they got warnings or whatever because they didn't pass their health inspection. Uh, And Because I want to see if it's one of the restaurants I go to. Usually it isn't, but I I always look at it, and I wonder how devastating would that sort of thing be to you as a restaurant and bar owner if the health department shut you down for a couple of days? Oh,
4: it would be... An absolute nightmare. I mean, obviously, there's a loss of revenue, but there's also going to be the problem that everybody reads in the paper that you've got X, Y, Z problem. And fortunately, you know, we don't have this problem. Generally, keep your kitchen clean. The health department's more of a inconvenience than a general problem. But I've seen restaurants, they run those same articles here in Texas every time someone gets shut down.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, you just, that's the list you don't want to be on. My son Tanner is with me on Party for Two. He's a restaurateur and bar owner in uh, Texas. But now I'm going to ask you, this is going to get personal now, Tanner, because I was reading in the Toronto Sun, the uh, Dear Abby column, and somebody wrote in, uh, this woman, she's a single woman and a uh, single parent, I guess, and her parents just, uh, they didn't do well financially, and they found themselves down and out. So they came and moved in with her, and she doesn't want them there, and she's trying trying to figure out how to get it, get the parents out of the house. And I'm looking at this and thinking, well, Tanner, if, if things go south for me, if I find myself in a bad situation, I want to think I could come live at your house.
4: Well, it depends. Would I have to evict you?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that is part of the thing. Uh, this article says that if somebody lives in your house for a certain period of time, then they're considered a resident, and you'd have to actually take legal measures to get the
4: person, the, even your parent out of the house. Well, yeah, we'd have to think about that, though, because you're not uh, an American citizen. So I might be able to kick you out pretty easily. And, you know, lest we forget, I do have a brother that lives in Canada. And he's got a nice, warm house. I, I think you'd be very happy living with Nigel. So I should go live with Nigel instead of bothering you. Should you should live with Nigel. I see. 100%. I, I, think he, you know, I think it's best for Nigel, honestly. Well, you know, He just loves having you around. It'd be perfect. Okay, but you have a five-bedroom house, first of all. And second of all,
0: when I was leaving the last time I was there, I left some stuff behind. And I said, is this okay? And Grace said to me, well, sure, it's practically your room
4: anyway. Yes, Grace is very lovely. She loves to really be generous, and I love that about Grace. She's a wonderful partner. Um, you know, it, it, it's your room, sure, for two weeks a year. I think the <laughs> other fifty is where it would be a real conversation.
0: I see. So, uh, so here's how I feel about it: um, that even if you're even if your kids are adults, if they run into trouble, they always have a home in your home. But it doesn't work the other way. Is that what you're saying?
4: I'm saying it can work the other way. I think some clear communication, maybe some boundaries would be helpful for everyone.
0: (laughs) All right. When the kids start setting the boundaries, that's when your life has really gone south. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Tanner, thanks for doing this. I love you. Thanks for this.
4: Love you, too. Always great to be here.
0: All right. Bye. Bye. This is the iHeartRadio Talk Network. This is Jerry Agar on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. So the taxpayers of Toronto are under threat from their own government of possibly a tax raise as high as 16.5%. The city is looking at 10.5%, and then the budget chief, Shelley Carroll, has been warning that if we don't get some money from the federal government to make up for the problem the federal government has caused by sending thousands of refugees and not paying the bill, we'll get another 6% fee, sort of. Uh, It'll be a tax, but that's kind of what she would call it, you know, a federal government's not doing its job fee. Well, some of the federal MPs are taking exception to this. So a fight has developed between Olivia Chow and Shelley Carroll, the budget chief, and uh, federal MPs, one of whom is Julie DeZerowitz, who is the liberal MP for the riding of Davenport and has been good enough to join us. Julie DeZerowitz, good morning.
1: Good morning, Jerry. Nice to be on your show. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Are you mad at Olivia Chow?
1: No, uh, but because I think we we need to be friends. The city of Toronto, uh, Torontonians uh, want uh, the federal government and the city government to be working together. Sure, but
0: you're not working together.
1: Well, I think that there's definitely a lot of uh, room for uh, for improvement, but I think that there's a great desire on both sides for us to, to be working together. And I think sometimes when you're developing a relationship, there's there's some rough spots. Um, I will say to you, you know, I was listening to your introduction, and you were talking about the the tax hike. Um, I don't think that should be a surprise to, to, to Torontonians. Um, Olivia Chow, when she was running uh, in her campaign, she was pretty blunt that she was going to be increasing property taxes. Um, she wouldn't give a number to it, but she was pretty blunt that that's what was her intention even when she was running her campaign.
0: Oh, well, sure. I mean, you could never accuse this show of being the PR department for Olivia Chow, okay? Uh, so I, I get that, but, you know, I'm not the PR department for your government either, um, and uh, and it sounds like you know that. But, uh, but, but the city of Toronto has a point. Thousands of refugees brought in, an enormous number of them dumped in Toronto to the point where they have to sleep on the streets. We don't have the shelter space for it, and the federal government is not paying its bill.
1: Well, I don't think that's uh, true. So first of all, they're not refugees. The federal government actually... Uh pays about, uh, uh, not about, but they pay 100% for all the refugees that come into the country. What
0: Nobody believes is, that. No,
1: no, what's, no, but what's happening, Jerry, is we have asylum seekers that are showing up. It's a historic amount that's showing up at our airports, including Toronto. It's not just here in Toronto. It's happening in New York and all your major cities around the world. There's, there's a massive influx of asylum seekers. So what is happening is uh, it is an issue. Uh, we uh, automatically announce something very specific in July of uh, last year we said we're giving 97 Million dollars to the city temporary to deal with the temporary solution, and we are going to be negotiating with them for an ongoing solution because we know that's going to be an ongoing solution. The city shouldn't have to deal with with it. They they should be getting some funding for it. So that is what the negotiation is on right now. They are getting the money. Uh, I I actually spoke to uh, to Mayor Chow on Sunday. Uh, they are getting uh, uh, parts of the ninety seven million um, as they are spending the money and as they are uh, being transparent with uh, their costs. Uh, to the federal government.
0: Sure, but that 97 uh, million, I'm talking to uh, Julia Dezerowitz, who is the Liberal MP for the Riding of Davenport, that, that's o- only a fraction of what is required, and whether they're refugees, immigrants, or claimants, or whatever uh, label we put on them, they are a federal responsibility, and any community that is struggling with its bills and trying to keep up to this influx is not responsible for any of it. When you say a negotiation, when you go to the grocery store and they run your groceries through. You don't do a negotiation. You pay for the groceries. Well, this is a federal bill. Don't negotiate. Pay your bills.
1: (laughs) I I do agree we have to pay the 97 million that we have committed to the city of Toronto. And I do think that we need a long-term solution to ensure that the city of Toronto has the money it needs to be able to treat our asylum seekers with dignity and respect as they come in. I do think that though, there's some questions, Jerry, I don't know if you know this, but it takes about, it costs about five to $6,000 per person, uh, to actually put them into our shelter system. And so one of the questions are, and this is for the city, you know, whether that is the best way, uh, to actually um, serve uh, our asylum seekers, I think our shelters need to be kept for our homeless and our most vulnerable, and I think then we need to find a uh, cost effective and uh, respectful uh, uh, way uh, to actually uh, help our asylum seekers uh, who come uh, to our land and who are claiming asylum and I think that the Toronto, I think Toronto knows that, and I think that's uh, probably something they're seized with and working on
0: okay i 'm going to tell you what I just heard you say. I just heard you say, we don't think Toronto's doing a very good job of doing our job for us. It's not Toronto who's supposed to figure this out. It's not Mississauga. It's not North Bay or wherever any of these people end up. It is a federal responsibility.
1: Uh, Well... Jerry, I think that for asylum seekers, it's, it, asylum seekers didn't just start coming to our lands over the last year. We've always had asylum seekers. What's been the difference is that we've had a major increase in it, and it's been unsustainable. Uh, and just so you know, in the past, it's been all three levels of government that's actually shared the cost for asylum seekers. So what's happened is because there's been a massive inf- We've actually stepped up with an additional $97 million. I think that in the uh, Ontario-Toronto agreement, there's some additional dollars there to support them. So it's always been three levels that have supported them. And so... uh, Again, uh, we've more than stepped up, and we are working on how is it that we're going to continue to support asylum seekers moving forward.
0: Well, here's another reason this shouldn't be dumped on the communities. Ever since Justin Trudeau became prime minister, your government has exploded in size. The number of people working for the federal government has increased by 40%. What are those people doing all day?
1: (laughs) Well, I think... I think we had a pandemic uh, during that uh, whole
4: time, uh, yeah, since we've yeah. come
1: into office, and I think that we've had a lot of extra things we need to do. So, uh, look, w- w- we have massively increased the number of employees, but I-, I don't quite know how that ties into our conversation around the City of Toronto.
0: Because you have overloaded yourself with people. We're paying incredible wages and benefits, too, and then you expect the communities to pick up the job and do your job for you. You've got more people than you ever had, and and uh, you're telling the city to do your job for you. That's how it ties in.
1: Well, as I mentioned b- before, asylum seekers has always been a responsibility that all three levels of government have stepped up to do, because there's been a massive influx. of the, uh, the federal government stepped up. Well, in don't let them money. in, then. Uh, uh, for asylum seekers, I think we're not able to stop. I think through international law, if someone claims asylum in your country, you have to treat them a certain way.
0: How many of them came from the United States who have no right to claim asylum here?
1: Um, I actually don't know those numbers. Should very. you? I, I don't know. I, well, if I was if I was told that that was something you wanted to know, I would have had that number for you for this interview, and I'm out okay. to do, for the next one.
0: All right, you should be glad I'm not mayor because if I was mayor, I'd be putting them all on buses and sending them to Ottawa. <laughs>
1: well, uh, well, I'm uh, well. Uh well, you always have an opportunity to run for mayor in the future, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, okay,
0: but you ran for office, and, and you know I, I got mad at uh, Yvonne Baker, who represents Etobicoke Center, where I lived until just recently. You represent Davenport, and i got to be honest with you, both of you sound like you represent Trudeau.
1: Well, we are part of the Liberal government right now. We are part of a team. So while we might not 100% agree with everything that goes on, I'm actually I'm part of our government. And I absolutely think that over the last eight years, we've provided a historic amount of funding and investment in the City of Toronto. And I'm very proud of that investment in housing and transit. Um, and... I think that we'll continue to be... We've been great partners for the city of Toronto in the past. We'll continue to be great uh, partners for the city in the future.
0: All right. Well, as a taxpayer, I think the opposite. I think that uh, you're actually harming this city. I'll tell you this, though. I'll give both you and Yvonne Baker credit for this. There was an article in the Toronto uh, Star that talked about how Liberal MPs aren't happy. You were named right off the top, which is great. And then Yvonne Baker decided to name himself. Um, What's wrong with the others who are speaking to the paper but uh, not willing to put their names behind... Uh, what they have to say. They are not whistleblowers. They are representatives of the people. What the, why are they taking this cowardly position?
1: Well, I think you, you have to sort of ask them, but I will tell you... I my can't. Pers- They're
0: anonymous. <laughs>
1: My personal my personal uh, philosophy, and this is for myself only, and people have to make decisions for themselves, but I never go on background, and I never go off the record. It is always 100% on the record. If I'm going to say it to the media, uh, I'll say it to my constituents, and I'm happy to say it to everyone.
0: Well, good for you, because I think your party's going to be devastated in the next election, so.
1: Well, um, uh, well, thank you for uh, <laughs> for what you think will happen. I yeah. hope that will not be the case. I think we have served Canadians very well over the last eight years.
0: Uh-huh. And that's uh, why I you're polling th- so well.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I will tell you as uh, a Davenport uh, member, I have uh, I've never followed the polls. Um, what I do is I make sure that I stay in touch with the people, and I make sure I continue to serve them well. All right.
0: Would you ever come on this show again?
1: A hundred percent, Jerry.
0: All right, thanks for doing it. You take care. Bye-bye. All right. That's Julie Dezerowitz, liberal MP for the riding of Davenport. This is the iHeartRadio Talk Network.
2: Let's apply the scientific method. Perform an experiment. Using science, of course. Just good science. That's where all the interesting stuff is.
0: Telescopic Tuesdays. Get help. Call somebody. Looking deeper into the world of science. A, A scientist. Call a scientist with Dan Riskin. Good morning, Dan Riskin. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. I'm fascinated by this story of the
2: world's oldest star map. I am too. I love when like Indiana Jones, you know, he goes into some cave and finds some kind of old thing and then it turns out to actually function. The it seems like the stuff from the movies, but every once in a while archaeologists find stuff that's on par with that. And that's what this is. It's from this place in northern Italy, Castiglieri di Rupin Piccolo, maybe it's called. Something maybe. Like that. <laughs> I, I tried saying it with the accent. I hope that would right. make it sort of seem authentic. But anyway, this is from like 2,000 years before Christ. Like it's it's very old and there's this fort. And outside the fort are these two wheels, the, these stone circles that are about half a meter in diameter. And one of them has a picture of the sun on it and is thought to represent the day. And the other one is thought to represent the night. And when you first look at it, it looks like nothing. It's got a bunch of chips in it, basically. But when you look carefully, each one of those chips is made by hand uh, by a person and uh, when you look at the pattern of the chips it looks like constellations that are in the sky and so researchers believe that this is a map of the constellations that dates back and it would be the oldest star map but what's really neat is that there are 28 stars that line up with ones that we can point to in the sky right now but there is a 29th it is not in the sky and so astronomers are really excited about this because it may point to something that was in the sky 2000 years before Christ that is not in the sky anymore. And there isn't a way to sort of figure that out? There isn't. uh, I mean you can take a close look at the place where The star is missing. But part of the problem is that these star maps, it's not like if you could hold this thing up if it were transparent and it would perfectly line up with the dots. It shows the pattern. So like, you know, like Ursa Major or Scorpio or Orion, there's a pattern of the dots and it's drawn properly and things are in the relative right areas but they're not exactly bang on. So when there's a star missing, you can't exactly zoom in on that piece of space and say it's exactly in this one little spot. You've got a general area where it is and that makes it harder to search. But novas and supernovas, exploding stars will periodically uh, go off. There's a a well-known one from the 1600s. We haven't seen one in our lifetimes. Uh, But uh, it it lights up. It makes a very bright star. The one from the 1600s was so bright that you could see it during the day. Uh, And then it goes out Uh, after the explosion finishes. After a few weeks or months or whatever, uh, it goes out. And so they think that this uh, 29th etching may relate to a nova or a supernova from the past. And it's just a really neat mystery and it's uh, the other fun thing about this just really quickly is that there's a star on there that is so low on the horizon as seen from northern Italy that it shouldn't be visible but when people did the calculations tracking back to what the sky would have looked like in 1800 BCE that constellation was higher up above the horizon so it would have been visible back then even though that star is not visible today from that location so it's just a really really cool artifact so it shows that it is
0: close enough on the constellations and that other star and all of those things that whoever made this thing really actually had a clue of how the sky worked so there, there has to be something real about that 29th star
2: yeah, one assumes. I mean, it's, it's very cool because they didn't call it Scorpio. They didn't call it Orion. They, they, they would have had other names for those things. Or maybe, you know, what we consider one constellation, they would have said is, you know, the constellation is actually this whole thing or, or something like that. So it's just the pattern of the stars. That, that lines up, but uh, using the, the names for constellations that we use now, they've got Orion, they've got the Pleiades, um, all, Scorpio. So a bunch of different constellations that, uh, that, we, that we know today can be found there. And to an astronomer that looks at the sky all the time, it's, it just jumps right out at them. Well,
0: while we're talking about the sky, NASA is looking at sending out some little spacecraft that some of them might not get to where they're supposed to go for 80,000 years. Well,
2: so here's how it works. W- going to the sun is pretty easy. Uh, it's, if you've got a rocket, you can get till there you get you close. Know, like a couple months. <laughs> you don't want to get too close to it. But if you want to go to a different star than the sun, you got to go to, uh, so you, it's interstellar. That's what interstellar means is going to other stars. And so it's interstellar travel. And the closest star that isn't our sun is 4.2 light years away, which means 4.2 years at the speed of light. To get there. So 40 trillion kilometers. And just to put that in perspective, Voyager 1 is the spacecraft that is farthest from the earth today. It's been traveling for 46 years nonstop. And if it were pointing at Proxima Centauri, that closest star, it would be less than 1% of the way there. uh, With using rocket technology, it would take 80,000 years to get to some of those stars. So Researchers have come up with this new plan. Instead of having a great big massive rocket that throws things out the back and burns fuel and then accelerates and and gets going pretty fast, let's do something different. Let's make tiny little spacecraft, like on the order of a few grams, like bumblebee weight kind of stuff. And let's make spacecraft that small that have these big sails and they're light sails. So you can imagine an open sort of solar panel thing behind it. And then we shoot that with a laser beam from Earth. And as the laser hits it, the photons very gently but very fast push on that sail and accelerate it a little bit. And if you keep that laser shining for years and years and years and keep pushing little bits, little bits, little bits – they calculate that these things could be going at like 10% the speed of light or 20% the speed of light. And if you're going that fast, then all of a sudden interstellar distances become much easier to cross. And so instead of 80,000 years, we're looking at something closer to like 50 years or 60 years to, to travel that distance. And so um, there's a proposal, NASA has thrown some money at it, and they're going to start working to see how they could manage to put this thing together, how it would launch, how it would all work. Well, if
0: a tiny thing like that, could it send any kind of signal back?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's one of the great questions is could it send something back? Uh, Also, if it's going to Proxima Centauri and when it gets there, it's going 20% the speed of light. I mean, how many pictures is it going to be able to take before it blows past that thing? Like, is there any way to decelerate? I can't think of one. Um, But those are the kinds of questions they're up to. And the other thing is instead of just one spacecraft that weighs a few grams, their plan is to have like a thousand of them all traveling as a swarm. And to take advantage of some of the some of the really cool stuff you can do when you have swarms of robots or swarms of computers that are that are working on problems together. So there's some some pretty exciting stuff involving the swarm to have a thousand of these working together.
0: Let's not be making somebody out there think they're under attack, Dan.
2: Right. Well, if you live on Proxima Centauri, you're in for a big surprise when you're 2075 or so, something like that.
0: One out of four people suffer from, is it tinnitus or tinnitus? How do you pronounce it's,
2: that? I say tinnitus, but okay. I, I've downloaded this app that we're about to talk about, and they've got an Australian accent, and they call it tinnitus. So okay. uh, maybe I'm saying it wrong. I don't know.
0: But a cell phone app could help. I didn't realize one out of four people suffered from just hearing a sound when there's no sound there.
2: Yeah. This is like a ringing sound in your ears. And so I hear it uh, when I clench my jaw. I hear a very loud sort of like uh, uh, f- high frequency noise. And I can hear it a little bit when I'm in total silence. I can I notice it, but it doesn't affect me day to day. Other people, it's a lot louder and it can interfere with their ability to hear, but it can also interfere with your mental health. You can't sleep, you, you get grumpy, you can't concentrate. Um, and so it can be debilitating for some people. And it's a, a problem that uh, has been elusive in terms of finding a cure but uh, treatment and therapy can help you overcome the symptoms of it so that uh, even though the noise is still there it doesn't bother you as much and cognitive behavioral therapy can help with that uh, uh, researchers from around the world have come together and made this new app uh, and it is called mind ear one word mind ear and uh, what they've done is they've made this app you download it uh, I downloaded it from my phone and I installed it and tried it out and basically it's not it's not like it's going to play noise that cancel this thing out or anything like that. But what it does is it it gives you some some exercises. It lets you do some listening exercises to some some relaxing sounds, and then you start to focus on the sound instead of on the ringing. And it helps you work through that. And the 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 results from this app. Uh, published in a in a scientific journal, show that it's about for about two thirds of people, it makes a clinically significant improvement on their symptoms of tinnitus. So, uh, pretty exciting that this is uh, this is available.
0: It's called Mind Ear. It's for download on Android and iPhone. Do you have to pay for it?
2: I didn't pay anything yet. I haven't gotten very far into the program, so there's always okay. the chance that they're going to pull a switcheroo. But uh, for now, it's it's just a, a free download, and it looks really looks really positive. It's put together by by people who are trying to treat these things. So hopefully they'll they'll not charge any money. Dan Riskin, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. People get speeding tickets,
0: and then they want to whine and complain because they got speeding tickets, as if somehow they're being treated unfairly because they got speeding tickets because. They were speeding. That's next on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. You're listening to Jerry Agar. I couldn't believe this morning how people were reacting to this story out of Guelph Today and how the people that Guelph Today was reporting on were reacting. And here's the story. People were speeding. Speed camera caught them. Then they were speeding again tomorrow, speed camera caught them, and then eventually the tickets showed up and they got several of them, and their whiny response was, well, I didn't know the first time. If a cop would have stopped me, then I would have known. Well, here's how you know. There's a combination of three things, okay? One, a posted speed limit. Two, a speedometer on your car. Three, a brain you should engage just before you engage the gear, okay? There's no, there's no way around this. There's no excuse. The traffic camera gave you a ticket. Now, some people will say, well, the speed limit is 40. You get a ticket for 41. Okay. We could argue about that, but that's not really what these people are complaining about. They're, they're complaining that they got a speeding ticket going more than one kilometer over the speed limit and that somehow they were hard done by because they got a couple of these tickets before they realized that was what was happening. There's all kinds of opportunity for you to go the speed limit. And, but I couldn't believe what happened on the morning show this morning. So I want to play you some things from the morning show. And then we'll see whether you're agreeing with me or the other people. Scott Reed uh, weighed in, first of all, on this. I'm on every side of this issue, okay? Like there's probably a reason that the speed limit is what it is posted on that street. There's probably been people that have been hit or hurt there. Um so I get that that's there. I get the photo radar has a chilling and dampening effect and will cause people to slow down. But I also believe as I've said here many 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 times, I think it might be the small town in me. I hate photo radar. If you're going to catch me copper, you got to track me down, you got to go through my receipts, you got to
3: question the witnesses and then you got to like Columbo my ass into jail. I don't think there should be a photograph in the sky of me and that's how i get busted but i know that's selfish and ridiculous and not right
0: it is selfish and ridiculous and not right and counterproductive what are you saying that that, uh, actually we should greatly increase the police budget is that what we should do because you somehow don't like the photo radar camera I don't think so. I mean, this is, this is another tool that can be used to do more with less with the police department, as the police department in Toronto, for instance, is threatened not with the money they say they need, but with a cut from what they already have. And I couldn't believe the exchanges I had with John Moore on this either. I'm going to play you two different pieces, and the second one gets worse. But, uh, <laughs> but here's the first. Is it not, though, Jerry, a revenue grab? I mean, why not put up a sign that says, there's photo radar on this street, behave yourself? No. Uh, you know, people can call it a revenue grab if they want, but it's one of the ones where you can fool the government by not speeding. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But, There's no logical yeah. argument against this.
4: Okay. Well, okay. Even here's, Scott
0: knows that he's here's being one. Selfish. Here's one. Clearly, photo radar was not slowing people down. For a week at a time. So people were speeding every day for a week until they got their first ticket. So sure. was it about slowing people down or raising revenue? Let me let me combine several things that you've said, because I've complained about the speed limit on a road near where I used to live till I till I moved. It was it's artificially low, as far as I'm concerned. So they put in photo radar and it shows up as one of the top ticketing photo radars in the city. Except that if you live out there, here's what I've noticed. Everybody goes to speed limit where the camera is. They're nailing the people that don't live in the neighborhood. Uh, because those of us lived in the neighborhood we all slow down as we go by the camera and then we speed everywhere else okay so that was part of it with me and john i'm going to play you another part in a moment but a lot of I, I don't know if it's all cases but in many cases i know there is a sign that says that there's photo radar and there's another sign that tells you what the speed limit is i don't know how much more you need so here's how it got worse okay then hide, but if i got a ticket i get it, it's and my... put up a sign that says there's photo radar on this street we I... don't we're not going to tell you where it is you know what there is there's a sign that tells you what the speed limit is yeah. Okay, well, what more do you need? Well, then we get back to you were grieving the speed limit on that street. Yeah, you know what we need in our neighborhood? We need a sign that says no violence. Okay, no murder. No murder in this neighborhood. It's There's a speed limit posted, John. Right, but it's a stupid Jeez. speed limit. I well, mean, yes, it is a speed limit. Are you telling me limit? you never go over 100 kilometers an hour on a 400 expressway Ever. Oh, no, I, I, I'm frequently over the speed limit. What I'm saying is if I get a ticket, I don't have a complaint. Okay, so oh, I'm it's not not whiny, about, but it's like, not about
2: safety. Oh it's my about God. catching
1: people.
0: Well, you know, we need revenue somewhere. Okay, I, I don't get it. I don't get how anybody can wind their way through this sort of thing. I know John, I guess, was trying to say that I'm being hypocritical. He wasn't going to believe me if I said I never speed. I frequently speed. And, and part of it is we're all speeding out there. But if we, you know, like I'm flowing along with the traffic on the Gardner at 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, it's really, are we going to speed limit? No, we're not. And if I get a ticket, if they put, a, if they put one of those uh, photo radar cameras on the Gardner and I get a ticket, who's to blame? Me. That's who. There's the difference, I think, between me and all the whiny people is that if I get a speeding ticket because I was speeding, then I have to pay a speeding ticket. And it's included on a road where I think the speed limit is too low. The only person who uh, made sense on this, other than me, was uh, Deb Hutton, who said, basically... man up (laughs) she and i were both you know kind of uh saying the same thing just uh if you don't like here's what she said if you don't like the speed limit on a road then the the answer is not to speed the answer is to lobby your city to change the speed limit i tried to do that by the way about that road that i would complain about it didn't get me anywhere but uh had i gotten a speed speeding ticket i would have known uh it was my own fault now, somebody writes, if that many people are speeding, the speed limits are set too low. I don't disagree with that. I don't. But what am I going to say? If the speed limit is posted and I go over it and I get a ticket, I'm going to say to the cop, yeah, well, that's a stupid speed limit anyway. So stop bothering me. I, I recommend you try that and see how it works for you. Um, somebody writes, if you download the Waze app, it tells you where the photo radar is and how many meters it counts down until you get to the camera. Okay, then do that. But anybody, I mean, well, I'll give a little bit of a break here to Scott Reed because he knew he was being ridiculous. He was just venting. But I, I couldn't believe that John Moore was taking the position that he was. I couldn't. Here is Jacob from Etobicoke.
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that the, I think if we uh, look at it, the point of speeding tickets, I believe is not, I mean, the, the government might look at it as a revenue stream, but it's not as a revenue stream, it's that somebody gets a fine, it'll incentivize them to not speed. Right. So I definitely hear what the, these residents are saying, because, you know, usually you'll get pulled over and the cops you a ticket, and you're like, hey, no, now I won't speed. But like this, there's the ticket, if you could send them, you know, a few tickets in one week and they get them all at the same time. Or they get like the first one after they get the first few. It's the first few aren't helping them not speed because they don't know about it. So at that point, it's not actually like incentivizing people to not speed. It's just a revenue stream, you know. It's like okay, out, so so
0: what it, would you prefer to do? Raise taxes? Hire more cops?
3: Well, I mean, I think it would make sense to. You know, maybe like send warnings if you know a person got a ticket in a certain area. I'm sure they could develop. I'm sure if the government cared, they could develop a smart system. But Jacob, I don't think it's Jacob. Uh,
0: if the I people cared, if
3: Sorry, the people
0: yeah. cared, they'd go the speed limit. Do you have a driver's license? I do. Can you read a speed sign? Uh, yeah. The okay. Vaguely. Okay. If it, well, if it says speed limit 60, do you know what to do?
3: Um, slow down when there's a cop. <laughs> All right. I mean, yeah, Thanks yeah. very
0: much. Here is George from Oshawa.
3: Hey, Jerry. How are you doing, man?
0: I'm good. I only got about 20 seconds here.
3: Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just want to tell you that I agree with you 100%. The, those roads with those radar doesn't just have the speed limit. It also have a sign that tells you that it is there. Yeah, so so, if that is
0: not enough, I
3: don't understand.
0: I if, don't that's not enough, if that's not enough, you don't deserve a driver's license.
3: Exactly. I agree with you 100%, Jerry, and that's why right. I only listen to you. Thank
0: I you. always like to end the show with happiness and a great accent.
3: Yeah. <laughs> okay,
0: thanks. Thanks, George. This is the iHeartRadio Talk Network.